This is the Ed Genius Podcast. The Ed Genius Podcast brings you the tried, true, and proven of online education to help you provide a better learning experience for your students. I'm Rob Letcher, and on the Ed Genius Podcast, I talk with teachers, students, and ed tech leaders about their online teaching and learning successes and failures and what they've learned from both. Welcome all you Ed Geniuses to the Ed Genius Podcast. I've spent 18 of my 21 years working in the field of education focused entirely on online teaching and learning. And for this, the first episode of the Ed Genius Podcast, I wanted to start with what I think is the keystone of a successful online learning school or program, starting with the learner experience. It was the early 90s, and I was in my second student teaching experience in a middle school classroom in rural Pennsylvania. I'd spent a week preparing for like a several day lesson that would have my students working in groups, solving the case of the missing frogs. I had spent a week learning how to use Apple HyperCard to control the only LaserDisc player in the school to create a multimedia presentation for the students. Google it. HyperCard and LaserDiscs were a thing. I had developed a set of data that, when correctly graphed and interpreted, would lead students to figure out that frogs in an imaginary location were being killed off due to contamination by an imaginary chemical plant. So I reserved the computer lab. Google it. That was a thing. You used to have to send your students someplace else to use computers. So they could use spreadsheet software there to handle the data mashing. It was going to be awesome and totally blow the mind of my cooperating teacher. And then the lesson crashed and burned. What happened? Well, the students had no idea how to interpret data. They didn't know how to use the spreadsheet software. When they got to the computer lab, there wasn't room for a group to gather around their assigned computer. The students in the back of the room couldn't make out the images on the 26-inch television displaying the multimedia presentation. In short, even though the pedagogy was, if I might say so, spot on, one might even say inspired, I had failed to consider the entire student experience. In most cases, online programs, courses, and lessons begin their life focused on the what and the how. What do we need to teach, and how are we going to get students to learn it? And when it comes to online learning, the focus is usually on selecting or creating curriculum and the learning management system. And sure, those two things are really important. But especially in online learning, I suggest that we start by defining the desired learner experience and then making content, choosing tools, and making design decisions that best lead us to that experience. My Ed Genius guest today is someone who's keenly experienced in the area of ensuring a desirable student experience. Kristen Morrison has spent the last 16 years working in EdTech. Kristen has only ever practiced design within the EdTech industry. She started by designing courses on Blackboard, video edited and built on-screen graphics for a Spanish educational TV show, and has spent the largest part of her career 
with the two leading K-12 online education providers in the U.S., Pearson, now named Savas, and K-12.com, now named Stride Learning. When she's not looking at products and interfaces for educational projects, Kristen's looking for the best pizza and enjoying her 12-year-old dachshund. Well, Kristen, welcome to the podcast, the first podcast. I hope you feel... I'm super excited to be here, Rob. Super excited to have you. Um, so, you know, be an open book here. Uh, Kristen and I have known each other for, for some time as I used to work at K-12 as well. And you're or now Stride. You're still at Stride, right? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get the name right these days. <laughs> we still it say is. K-12. We'll, we'll get Stride eventually. Well, listen, I wanted to start by talking because, uh, you know, you and I have worked in the past. And, and so I know how dedicated you are to the learner experience. How do you define learner experience? Yes, that's it is two words that describe the whole environment where learning takes place. And that can be a lot of things, right? It can be a more traditional classroom and a school-based setting. It can be outside of school in the home. And it can be a digital learning experience. And I I like these two words together because it doesn't make any assumptions about how or when or where the learning is happening. Right. Um, and I have this metaphor for what I, how I think about that in my day-to-day work when I'm building digital products. And it's the context of the refrigerator and the food inside of the fridge. And so, uh, something, something I can relate with really well. <laughs> <laughs> you you like the food. I like the food and the refrigerator. I I can't disagree there. So the fridge is the idea of a learning management system. It could also be the classroom, right? That physical space that helps the student figure out what they need to do for the day, tracks how the student's progressing against that, and gives key information and insights. And the food is all of the content and how it fits inside of that LMS um, and how those two things come together, right? You can't, you can't have one without the other. So if you're only thinking of the food, that's a problem. If you're only right. thinking about the fridge, that's a bigger problem. <laughs> the two have to be in tandem all the time. That's, that's, that's a great metaphor. I love that. Um, if I'm thinking only about the refrigerator, uh, then then I'm concerned about the learning management system. Maybe I'm concerned about the data collection system. Maybe I'm worried about the login. Um, But to your point, if I'm not worried about the content, I'm doomed, right? Right. I'm going to be a very hungry teacher, learner, administrator. And I always talk to my designers about, think about a student asking or accessing content and how they move through the learning management system to get there. And then that experience inside of it. And that has to flow together because if they get lost, um, it's a bad start and you've already lost the attention span. Right, so assuming I'm I'm starving, right? And I get to the refrigerator and I can't figure out how to open it. That's that's probably bad. (laughs) It's very bad. (laughs) If I open the refrigerator and I can't find what I'm looking for, then I might go looking for it somewhere else or just presume that I have nothing to eat, right? That's so, right. So where have you seen that sort of play out 
You don't have to use any names, protect the innocent. But where, where have you seen that play out where uh, an organization or even a teacher has thought about the refrigerator and the food, not the food or vice versa? Oh, so I'll start from curric- a curriculum builder's experience. And oftentimes what I see is somebody thinking just about a singular moment in that experience and maybe 30 to 45 minutes worth of instruction. And they pack a lot in uh, and, and this idea of how much is salient in a certain time span, I think often gets lost when you're building as an adult for a child and what that consumption feels like and how long it should actually take. So that's something I see more than anything else is that we, we put 50 pages of content in for a 45 minute lesson. Right. And that's immediately overwhelming. And if, if the student is doing that six times a day, how does that feel at the end? And how does it feel the next morning when you get up and you have to do it all over again? And so it's not just one moment, it's all the moments connected together. Well, that's really interesting, right? So it's that cumulative effect. And then I have to wake up tomorrow and do it again, right? It's not even just about, okay, maybe on this one day, I have a really heavy course load or you know, lots of work across all my courses, but now I'm faced with 179 more of those. Right. And- the struggle for motivation and engaging a student in pursuit of that 180 days, that's hard. And so you have to look at the micro moments and the macro moments together and make good choices. It has to be an ebb and flow. There has to be a give. Where have you seen that done well? Uh, Do you have an example where you've seen, whether it's uh, again at the programmatic level or producer level, like a curriculum producer, or even, even a, a teacher level, do you have any memories of some, seeing something like, okay, that person or that organization, they get it. Adults make a lot of assumption about designing for kids because we've all gone through this educational experience. And so, so the first place I went was actually, did I ever have an educational experience where I felt like the pieces connect and they were cohesive. And at the end of the day, I was excited to go back the next day. And right. we all remember those teachers where right. it just worked. And we all remember the teachers where it didn't. <laughs> and it, it's interesting if you pull out pieces and parts, like I remember I had a biology teacher and we went in there and we did crosswords crossword puzzles most of the time. And that was a pretty terrible educational moment. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, that's, it, that's typically what, um, you know, professional biologists do, right? They right. spend most crosswords. of the day doing crossword puzzles. So yeah, totally. <laughs> find the word spells. Yeah. So where I've, my experience at the content was thought about separately from the learning management system. And I saw it break in the product that we delivered to the end market. One thing I enjoy about being at Stride is that I get to think about both. And that wasn't something that existed at at Stride before I arrived. And I find myself often 
challenging the team around me to say, that's a great idea when we're looking at ELA and the number of, of reading moments or practice assignments throughout that 45 minutes. But talk to me about how many that student's going to have across the day when they're in history, science, math, and ELA. And by the way, we've got art, music, PE, health that sometimes come into the mix. And we're looking at the time we think students should be spending, both in our digital instruction versus the live instruction. And we're actually doing less. We're delivering less content because at the end of the day, when you add all those minutes up, it is phenomenal. It is way more than we thought we were building. And, and so, so how do you, how does an organization or a teacher really get a handle on that? What, how do you go about really understanding what the learner experience is? What if you, if you, let's, let's, let's take a teacher, for example, if you, you had a, a, a close friend who was teaching online and you and they said, oh, what, you know, I'm not sure. How do I know what my learner experience is? Or, you know, perhaps you, like I would do, offer um, unrequested advice. Right? <laughs> and <laughs> how would you suggest to that teacher, that online teacher, that they um, understand their current learner? Let's start with that. Yeah. How do they understand their current learner experience? What could so I would have them start from the first moment. What is the first thing that student is doing? And is it a digital lesson? Is there a live class component to that? And based on how many assignments or touch points are in that digital lesson, and that's you know something easy you could go in and just look at how many pages and how many graded assignments. Sometimes I go in to these courses and I see that teachers have added graded assignments to things mm -hmm. that have already been published. And so we've got a lesson that was supposed to take 45 minutes that has 10 graded things in it. 10. How is that possible in 45 minutes when I'm also having to read the text and interact with other things on the screen that aren't graded? I think that's okay. Absolutely. But, but your point is not if you don't take something else out. There's a balance. And I always expect that a teacher is customizing for their context, for their students, because they know what's going to resonate. And whether you're starting from a base of something that a publisher has provided and you've got this nice little package or you're starting from scratch, it doesn't really matter. Count and be conscious of the number of things that you're putting inside of a, a span of time and what's reasonable based on the age level, how the students are performing against the, the skills that you're teaching in that midst. Um, maybe they're struggling. Maybe it's a really, really hard topic. And so if you break it down into smaller granulars, um, it means you're only getting one thing in instead of the five that you need to. But the, the pace and how much is in one module matters, regardless of where it comes from. And so just paying more attention to how much is on the list, not only in that, that one lesson, but for all of the moments in that experience. And it might mean that you have to go um, knock on a door with another teacher and say, how much, how much stuff are you giving them? Or there's a, there's a holistic mm -hmm. grade level practice there where 
you right size it. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip to the analogy of the refrigerator and food for a second. Okay. Last night I made uh, bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers oh. because why not? Right? <laughs> that sounds delicious. Oh my god! Make me hungry. Okay. They were awesome, and so I thought they were awesome, but uh, <laughs> but my uh, some of my children did not. Not a fan. While I enjoyed the jalapeno poppers immensely. It doesn't mean that my customers, so to speak, or the people who were consuming my jalapeno poppers felt the same. So the actual experience, how do you know that your your students are going to like what you're feeding them <laughs> to stick with the analogy? Yes. And this goes back to my point that as adults, we make a lot of assumptions about what's going to be meaningful or engaging. And I see that play out over and over and over again. I'll give you an example where I see a lot of video. Video is easy. It's accessible. There's a ton out there. And something that resonates with us as an adult, maybe it's an animated character that's doing something on the screen can be really, really off-putting if it feels too young for a student. They're immediately disengaged. And so oftentimes what I recommend is just asking. Um, does this particular style, does this particular modality, does it resonate with you guys? Do you like it? It can be any, as easy as a thumbs up, a sideways thumb or a thumbs down um, as a quick real-time poll in a class. And a lot of these, right? So that's if you're in the physical space, a lot of these virtual tools like Zoom, a lot of teachers are stuck in Zoom right now with the pandemic or Google Meets. They have real-time poll reactions. And so that's a, a very accessible thing to just determine what's working or not working, what's resonating. Um, at, at the biggest level for a publisher, we practice something called user-centered design. And everything that we're building goes through a process where we put it in front of students, we put it in front of teachers, uh, we put it in front of parents, depending on what we're building. And not only do we see if they can get through it, we, we ask questions and we do preference tests. And every time I, I get into a room where I'm presenting results for stakeholders or leaders or teachers for that matter, or school boards, and I say, okay, we tested these four different video styles and, and we're trying to build math casts that take, I'm, I'm giving you an example, apply a real-time scenario to the math that we're teaching. Right. Which one do you think the kids picked that they liked the best? Oh, that's an interesting, that's, that's really, I would, so how does that usually go? Yeah. And guess how many times people, adults guess what the students selected? How many? Never, never, <laughs> not once in my 16 year career. Not Wow. Once. They get close, but right. Preference is a hard thing. And so yeah. you also can't be afraid to fail. That's the other thing. What's and it's mercur it, isn't it kind of mercurial too, right? Like over time, um, I think one of the problems that we often have when thinking about a student experience is we, to your point, we're taking it from our own experience. That's right. And our own experience, particularly when you're designing for someone who is at a certain age that you were at one time, um, or 
you, so you're thinking about your own experience, what you would have liked or did like at that time, number one, or number two, you're thinking about your current experience, perhaps with the children in your own life. Right. And you're thinking, well, I know what they like. So everyone must like that. And in, in reality, like on a dime, preferences can sometimes change from students, you know, individually or en masse. It, yes, absolutely. And human behavior is, it, it's just hard, right? And it is ever evolving and ever changing. And every school year, you're going to have different, a different combination of people in your classroom. And so it's not, it's also not this one-time moment where you do it once and you check that box and it, it's fine. And I'm going to use that same PowerPoint or that same video every single year. And you might have the one or two that they are just, they're going to be home runs forever. So I want to take, go in a slightly different uh, angle here as well. So, so we've, I feel like we've talked a lot about the learning experience when it comes down to the, the lessons, like we've been kind of focusing on that a little bit. Um, but what about that, that wraparound experience? I, that's how I refer to it, right? What's happening around the lessons yeah. and the courses? What do you see that, that, you know, organizations, and I think this, let's think about this from a, perhaps from a provider, you know, education provider, like, like um, Stride or someone else, mm -hmm. or even at a school level, because a lot of districts are really, I mean, they're putting together their own online learning programs yeah. today that they, they have been forced to. Um, what do you see that, uh, that's tripping them up where they, where they're not thinking about that student experience outside of the course? Yeah. So there are so many ed tech tools on the market right now, uh, more, more so than 10 years ago, even the digital opportunities have exploded. And what I see is there's never only one tool being used inside of a school, inside of a district, inside of a classroom. And so when you talk about that wraparound experience, right, there might be five fridges sitting in one room to use that metaphor again. And so how do you make it easy to know how a student is moving between the different systems where you might be using material? Do they have five different logins? Do they remember those five different logins? How much time and energy do you spend helping kids access the, the technology that you're using? I think it happens a lot more than we think. Um, and so there are, there are some really interesting things going on right now with tools like Classlink, where you have a portal, it acts as a password locker, and kids can very easily see the five tools that you're using in your classroom and they go there at the start of the day and they don't have to remember the username and password. And so you remove that barrier to entry, which is, okay, I know in the morning we start with Raz Kids and I'm going to go in and read and I know what that icon looks like and I'm going to click it. And in the afternoon, we we're, we do Tutor Me or, or whatever tool, insert any tool, and I know what that button looks like. And so how do you... How do you remove and make the pieces around the content more invisible so that you spend less time managing technology problems and 
the students spend more time doing the work. I think that's that's interesting, right? Because <laughs> um, having been a product manager uh, that was focused around the wrapper, you're, you just said make it more invisible. That's right. Which might be, you know, uh, that strikes me as for someone who's like, oh, uh, my, my responsibility is for the experience outside. So you might initially go like, let me make it really fun and engaging. And you're like, no, that's not where you want them to be fun and engaging so much necessarily. It doesn't mean it can't be, I guess, but. And the other thing, I'll say two things about it. Sometimes the best design is no design at all. And I mean, what I mean by that is, right, when I'm getting into the lessons, make it as clear and straightforward as possible. No speed bumps should get in the way of that. Mm. There are moments throughout that day where we talk about how all of these pieces come together and how that feels compounded over a 180 day cycle where we should celebrate the right moments. And what are those right moments that, that are meaningful? Is it that I completed all my work on time for the day and Mm -hmm. there's, there's confetti that falls digitally (laughs) on my screen and it makes lovely noise. And I have that two seconds where I'm like, I did it. And that feels good, but it wasn't distracting. Um, So you have to be really thoughtful about how you cultivate those moments without it being patronizing. Mm. Sometimes we we have the best intentions, (laughs) but they end up being annoying when they happen every single day or five times a day. That's the other thing we have to be thoughtful about. Yeah, I was I was looking at um, Khan Academy recently doing some research and um, I actually had to take a screenshot of it because it was so it was fun. Right. Yeah. But the entire experience, like the entire learning process wasn't fun necessarily. It was fine. Right. And but there were just little moments of, hey, that was great. You know, but then when I got to the end and confetti like shot out from behind the, the button. I was like, Oh, cool. You know, I got a, <laughs> yeah, I was like a little giddy little schoolgirl. And, um, but that was a moment. The rest of it was, was serious learning. Right. And you know, it, it was, it was painted in a way that wasn't scary or anything. You know what I mean? It was visually designed to be attractive to me and not turn me off, but it also wasn't distracting. I wasn't like spending my time, you know, looking at the visual design behind the problem, I was focusing on the problem to solve. That's right. It, it, just enough. You want just enough layout that it's legible, that it's got the right hierarchy, right? The, the header is very clear. It leads me into the text that I need to read. And on, on the moments in the lesson where you want to wow them, those things really, really stand out so that the whole lesson isn't screaming at you, but there is this mm-hmm this rhythm, right? It's kind of like riding a wave. So what are three things an online teacher can do today or, you know, the next time they're in class in their online classroom, online teaching experience, what are three things they can do to provide a better learner experience? So I, the first one I pick is ask for feedback. And that can, we talked about that. It can be thumbs up, sideways, down on video. I even do that with my team. (laughs) Give me some feedback. Um, It can be those real-time reactions. The second thing is think about all of the things that you're asking the student to do in one day. Mm -hmm. 
and or one slot of time? And are you doing too many things? Are you not doing enough? And are you tying them all together to create a more cohesive experience that has those those high moments and those low moments that that create a balance in that experience. And then lastly, think about how the student's accessing something. And that that comes across in a lot of things digitally. Like in a classroom, you probably handed out printable worksheets all the time. Right. You can't do in an online environment. And when you send a PDF to a student, what do you expect them to do with it? And so thinking about that, I'm giving you something. What is the end outcome that that I want you to do with this? And is it going to work? Not from an educational standpoint, but purely from an experience standpoint. How does it feel? Well, Kristen, those are three fabulous tips for our teachers, for our online teachers who are listening. And I want to thank you and your your dachshund. <laughs> yeah, I hope he wasn't too loud. I know. I, I don't. I haven't. Didn't hear him the entire time. So. Um, but I want to thank you so much for the time today and for sharing your knowledge and your experience with our listeners. And I hope that uh, we can talk again because I, I think we've probably just, you know, hit the tip of the iceberg with when it comes to a student learning experience. Yeah, this is and this is hard stuff, right? It's yeah. really hard stuff. So, Kristen Morrison, VP of Design and User Experience at Stride Learning. So what did we learn today? Among other things, we learned that online learning is like a refrigerator. You can't just focus on the food, the content and teaching, or on the fridge, the LMS and technology, but you need to give them equal attention. We also learned that to know what students will respond to, you need to ask students, not adults. And we learned that sometimes less is more. Because while your course may be fine, stacking another five or six on top of yours may be burying your students. That's all the time we have for this episode of Ed Genius. Special thanks to my guest again, Kristen Morrison, and to Crowender, whose song Funhouse is what you heard at the beginning of the show and now, in fact. Until next time, Ed Geniuses, I leave you with the immortal words of B.B. King, who said, the beautiful thing about learning is that no one can take it away from you. Take care.